Hello and welcome into the Orlando Drummer Podcast. This is a big episode, episode 20, man. Yes, we have made it. 20 to... episodes. Yeah, 20. Yeah. yeah. These went by fast, for fast for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, one a week or every other week, depending on when we get to record. Yeah, been moving, moving along, man, that's for sure. I tried to keep this one the same amount. I started this and All In With Adam, my other podcast. I started those at the same time. And man, that other one is just a lot harder than this. Yeah. This is like, I don't know, drums have just been doing drums so long, it's a lot easier to just sit down and talk about drums. But. Yeah, it's almost able to drink. I think I say that every week. <laughs> I think I'm like ready to have a beer during the, podca- the podcast. Podcast can almost drink. You have a beer? Won't bother yeah, me. <laughs> I'm waiting until we're 21. Uh, I'm trying to be responsible. Next week, dude, next week. <laughs> 20, 20 episodes, not quite 20 loops. We didn't really start Loop of the Week till. Oh, we've got that a little further in. in. Yeah. Um, but, um, fun one this week. Okay. Chose uh, House Volume 2. House Volume 2. That's a yeah. really fun pack. Yeah. yeah. And just Loop 1. Um, okay. That was a fun one to listen to. It's got a little, like, sax intro into it. Yeah. All the little synth parts in it are just fun. I think yeah. it's, it's really, really expansive in terms of the ideas that you can give for that. Sure, sure. Cool. My, <laughs> let's do, well, let's play it. Let's let him hear it. Yeah. So this is House B2 Loop 1. Check it out. description of that it just sounds it just sounds like every gay club i've ever been to that's what this how many gay clubs have you been to i've been i've been to <laughs> more than one but like less than five i don't know not a regular thing but it definitely reminds me of just like like gay anthem house music yeah. is what it sounds like Which, you know man hats off to the music culture within gay clubs it's just it's, <laughs> hey, it's amazing that's a fun vibe you, yeah you oh might not like God. it it's a fun vibe though. Oh, come even, on you don't have to go you don't have to be gay to go to a gay club it's still enjoyable no matter what it's yeah really dude that's a fun place to go that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah i love i love playing that pack actually it's it's really fun house music is such a weird one because it's much like techno it's like very repetitive yeah and it's not really music for musicians but if you set that aside, like it does have its own like enjoyable qualities to it, you yeah. know. It's an interesting style of music for sure. Techno, kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, everything. Respect music. That's the way it should be. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, try and find what you're missing. That's what I like to tell people all the time. If you don't like it, it's you're you're the one probably missing something. You just gotta, you know, swallow your pride and. Uh, you know, figure out what that is. Yeah, just dance. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you that. I got one for you. What? What band or genre of music have you tried to like that you still hate? Ooh. Anything that like all your friends liked or it was popular and like you tried super hard, but you're just like, I don't get it. I still don't get it. Um, <laughs> there's a band. This is going to dig me so deep into a grave. There's a band called The Front Bottoms. I don't know if you've okay. ever listened to them. Front Bottoms. I, what a I, name. <laughs> it, the music sounds like a garbage can. It just is not like okay. the physical embodiment of a garbage can, but in <laughs> a music form, that's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. For any Front Bottoms fans out there, I apologize. And all your I, friends liked it? Yeah, at the time. I don't okay. really like them anymore, really, but yeah. good lord, did I not care. Yeah. And I was just like listening to the band, because girls I liked liked the band. There you like, go. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then I took it's a, a listen to, to listen. an album, and then I was like, I am not going to change my personality because sure, of this girl, sure. <laughs> for whatever reason. Could never do it. Yeah. Never do it. Sorry. I don't know what you would call that, indie folk, uh, spoken word Oh, I know the genre you're talking about. Yeah. Me without you was another example of that. Yeah, the, yeah, like like poetry over indie music is what it. Screamy poetry. Over yeah, it. yeah, which has its own zeal. I get it. I understand yeah. the appeal, but at the same time, I'm like, I can't enjoy this. It's not something I want to put on at any point. Yeah, I'm with mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I remember the the one for me in high school was Muse. 
Muse. It it and I can get it more now, yeah. but like man, my friends were obsessed with Muse, and I just thought this sounded like rock opera. Like just like <laughs> weird, like theatrical rock music. Like I didn't I didn't never fa- I never oh. saw like the cool factor in it. And they would take me to a part, like, wait, listen to this guitar riff at this part. And I'm like, well, that was cool. But like he's singing opera right after it. Like he goes into these like belting vibrato, like ambient thing. Like I don't know. I never uh, got it. So that's a good that's a good question of the day. What band or genre of music did you ever find that like all of your friends liked, but you still hated? There was just nothing you could do to like make it click. I'd be curious. I'm what, well, I'm really interested in the answer. Yeah, because- country will be a big one. We know that, so don't say that one. But like something a little more a little more surprising. Yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting. Be be cool. All right, cool. So we will start out with accent or ghost. How do you feel about weighted drumsticks? Weighted drumsticks, as in the little donut things you put on. Well, they don't really do that. Like like a baseball bat. So um, there there is that tactic. Um, There was a brand ahead um, percussion made weighted workout drumsticks, which were. Triple or quadruple the weight of a normal drumstick. Okay. So, in the same, uh, has the same effect of uh, weighted vest when you're working out or lifting weights, right? Gotcha. So, what do you think of those? So, mm, see, my first thing is like resistance training is normally to build strength. And I don't know that that's the problem that most people have because a drumstick isn't, it isn't that heavy, right? So, like resistance training your brachialis like on the upstro I don't know like what it it seems like it would be for building strength and I just don't think that's a problem anybody has I think speed would be much more of a problem and I also think like everyone's issue where like technique has become a problem or you rather you can't do certain things because your technique is lacking in some way there's so many other things that you could do before adding a weighted drumstick I really don't think that would make a ton of sense. And as with anything, if you're resistance training, normally like slow, controlled, concentric, and eccentric, and static motion, like all of that kinesthetic energy is supposed to move through the muscle with a lot of control. Like it's slow on the release, and then it's slow on the way up, getting a mind-muscle connection with that particular muscle. I don't really see why we would be doing that with drumsticks. I think you'd be way better off focused on the technique itself instead of training resistance with it. It's just, it doesn't seem to line up for me. I don't know, I'm trying to talk it out, but I really can't see a reason why that would be a thing. So I think that one's gonna get, it's gonna get a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't make enough sense. I I just don't think so. Unless you have super weak forearms or wrists, but like so weak that you can't move a drumstick. Like I don't think anybody has that problem. I, I think it would be in like take marching band for instance. If okay. those sticks tend to be pretty heavy, those are huge. And, yeah. And um, in terms of what you're doing with your muscles, you, you would kind of want endurance for these like longer pieces. Definitely. Yeah. Right. So maybe that would strengthen the muscles for the endurance reasons. But I could see that. I understand what you're saying about strength. It, it's really. You don't need to be strong to play drums. Yeah, not at all. Drums are super loud. You don't need to hit that that hard. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you can be Eloy Casagrande. You can. Or <laughs> you know, Troy Wright or whomever to hit really, really hard. But you don't have to be. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think, I think I'll ghost the, the weighted sticks. Ooh. I don't think it's the way to do it. Now, if you wanted to, in the spirit of adding an unnecessary challenge in order to, like, build up some sort of endurance or strength or anything you know i think a soft practice pad like with no rebound that mm-hmm. would be a better direction to go yeah what is it the reflex um that reflex that? has one a ton of them have them now where they, they yeah. have like you know you flip it over it's got multiple different bouncy surfaces on it yeah uh, one of my favorite ones it's somewhere in this studio i just don't know where but moon gel actually makes a practice pad with the moon gel material in it and it's like this it's like six or eight inches and it's blue and it's insanely squishy it's just like a like a black hole for energy it just sucks up all the energy from the sticks i don't know if you can still buy those but that was a really cool one but uh, our tom moon gel workout pad yep our tom that's the company yeah 34.99 on sweetwater.com interesting 34.99 yeah, that's worth it. That thing is hilarious. We used to have it on the counter when I worked at Sam Ash. <laughs> um, 
And it was just, it was unbelievable. If you'd never played one before, like you could barely do any rudiment that you knew how to do. Paradiddles, double strokes. It was really rough. But yeah, I'd say in 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 the ballpark of like just making things harder in order to improve. Yeah, I would go with the different practice pad and not necessarily weighted sticks. Seems a little a little fishy to me. Right. I had got some I got some stuff I don't think people need. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Do we need to talk about a head as a brand? Yeah. Well, you know, not everything, not a criticism of their entire brand, but a few of their products, I'm just like, what? I don't I don't know who needs that. Mm-hmm. Gloves being another one, you know. Yeah, that's another thing, yeah, that I always see. Gloves. Yeah. I, just, I don't know about that. See, we got a few answers from when we did the gloves. Uh-huh. Um, or the segment on gloves or whatever, right? Yeah. And most people said sweaty hands. That was the most common common answer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My, my first thought is, like, could diet or medication or, like, are there other factors that could keep you from, like, profusely sweating out of your hands? Or do some people just have that problem no matter what? I don't know. Still not a glove person. All but right, cool. Weighted, <laughs> weighted drumsticks gets a ghost. Yeah. What about using low volume symbols for gigging? Live gigging. Low volume. So the only ones I've heard would be what the Zildjian L80s. Yeah. And what are the Sabian, Sabian ones? Sabian whatevers. Low volume. The whatevers. All, the, all the hold on. You can rant about that. I'll get the name here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Man, I for gigging, I really don't know about that. I don't have a lot of experience playing those in person. I have played them before in person, but the quality of the sound is not the selling point. It's not really w- why you would buy a low-volume cymbal setup. It's really just for practice. But then you do run into the problem, I suppose, of what do you do when you're playing live and you need a quiet symbol. I suppose your best bet would be to pick a symbol that's actually quiet, like a normal symbol, and then lighter sticks, that would certainly help. Really, really light, like acorn tip jazz sticks with a really thin, long taper, that would certainly help you lay back quite a bit. And then working on dynamics, your own dynamics. Like if you put those three together, the right symbol, the right stick, and your ability to control your dynamics, I think you could still get a quality sound that was not a low volume symbol because I just don't I can't imagine any of them sound that good. It's not the point. Mm, they're not supposed no. to sound good. They're not they're not for recording. Like nobody's trying to sell you a low volume symbol yeah. for its sound quality. So, well, one of the qualities would be that it's low in volume, but not like it's a good sound. So, yeah, not for not for playing out. I would say no. We got two ghosts today. It's interesting. Uh, so the Sabians are called quiet tone practice symbols. Okay, but the the Zildjian L80s. I own a set, and okay. they do tote that you can play low volume gigs. That's really like the, it says for low volume gigs, but. Good lord, do they not sound well? I don't think that they would sound good in any setting along with properly tuned instruments or anything like that. Unless the vibe was all our stuff sounds like trash. We somehow make it <laughs> we somehow make it sound good due to the advanced yeah. musicality of us the musicians. Well, okay. I mean, maybe I'm trying to think of the quietest gig you could ever have. Like an unmiked acoustic guitar in a cigar lounge. Like, right, I mean, like that kind of thing where it's just like people yeah. need to have full conversations right next to you. And, you know, maybe that would work. But I, there's no way it sounds as good. And that's that's that, no. that weird. Like just because you can gig with it doesn't mean you should. Like it might be that that sort of territory. It's hard. I mean, to keep drums quiet is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Always, no matter what situation you're in, they're always louder than they need to be. Sure. <laughs> so, in, well, in that in that kind of scenario, when when it's like you really do need this thing as quiet as possible, I would go more towards like I would want like a 24 inch ride, like really big, mm-hmm. so it takes a lot of energy to wake it up. Yeah. Right. So you can just barely tap it with the lightest like 7A jazz stick. And I would think that would be around the the same volume level of like an L80 or the Quiet Tone, whatever. I think it, you'd be in the same ballpark with 10 times the quality. Yeah, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. Uh, you won't find me gigging with him, though. That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you need practice symbols in your studio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it also just depends on the type of work that you're doing. But sure, that may, too. I met mainly for live gigging. All right, cool. So two ghosts today. Yeah. What a shame, what a shame. <laughs> um... We'll, you know, we'll 
we'll put this episode in the backlog so we don't have to look at all the stuff we're talking shit about. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. That'll do it for Accent and Ghost. Cool. Thank you for that. We'll move on to a new segment. New segment. Yes. This is Swap Study Shed. Swap Study Shed. Yes. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. For this piece of the podcast, I'll give Adam three drummers that he has to choose which one he would swap gigs with, take a lesson from, or hang out and shed with. So let's dive into it. Oh, yeah. And there's Alrighty. a famous game this is based off of, and the name of that game is not one we're going to say, yeah. as to not offend anybody. But it, it's... You'll get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There yeah, you go. You there you go. You figure it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So our three drummers are Benny Grip, J.P. Bouvet, and Dave Grohl. Hmm. Okay. Man, so I think swap, we're going to have to do Dave Grohl. Like, how could you... And maybe we should clarify this. Are we swapping like skill sets? Is this like a Freaky Friday thing? Where you no, this is your, <laughs> this is your skills transpire to whatever they do for a living. Gotcha. So, so you sit you, in their, yeah, their you position. You are now the drummer for Nirvana. You're, yeah. Or you are now the drummer for Foo Blue Fighters. Parts. Yeah. Well, he doesn't play drums in the Foo Fighters. That's, oh, duh. That's, I'm that's sorry. Taylor Hawkins. <laughs> if I wanted to play so guitar. We, so realistically, I guess if we're going with current bands that are actually a thing right now, it would be Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins. So, okay, well, we could call them interchangeable for this one. like Because Foo Fighters is what came to mind, but Nirvana has the same cool factor as yeah. that. So either way, yeah, I want to swap with Dave Grohl. I want to do what he's doing Damn. and see what that's like for sure. So he's the swap. And then do I want to shed with... Let's just do shed next. Uh, do I want to shed with J.P. Bouvet or Benny Greb? That's I'm, a tough one. I'm getting thoroughly embarrassed either way. So there's, that's kind of the same. I weirdly have shed with J.P. Bouvet at the Flight Drummers Festival in mm. 2013. Wow. Oh, yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Jeez. Yeah, that was brutal. Um and I have, okay, so I, I have actually, I've had lessons with Benny Greb before. So I'm going to say I would study with J.P. Bouvet. I have had a lesson with him as well, actually, a Skype lesson. It was a long time ago, though. So I would say I would study with J.P. Bouvet for sure and pick his brain. I know he's doing, um, I heard it on that Minel podcast, doing studying psychology. Yeah. Right? Like really interested in like the, I don't know, like origins of creativity from a psychological perspective. Give me some of that. I want that lesson. That sounds pretty cool. Mm. So I'll do that. And then I would I would shed with Benny. And Benny would probably be a really good one to shed with because he would not go out of his way to embarrass you. I think he's nice enough that he would <laughs> like so you want to shed you want to shed with Benny because he wouldn't embarrass you. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. would love to see him embarrass you though. Uh, like, I it, think wouldn't it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be hard. No, he would he would murder you. <laughs> that's a really Oh my god. That's a good one though. But man, dude, imagine sitting in on like a like a Taylor Hawkins type thing like Foo Fighters or Nirvana back in the day, either one. Just imagine doing that. Just a giant studio gig of real, I mean, not simple music to play, but still. Yeah, well, of just, just arenas, just like a, yeah. you know, a rock arenas. That would just be so incredible. So I've used this example before with Foo Fighters, where I think where virtual reality and video games are going, like imagine a rock band, but it's, it's VR. So you put on a headset and... It is indistinguishable from reality where like Dave Grohl walks over and you're on stage in the Foo Fighters. You're at Taylor Hawkins' kit. It's his exact kit, Damn. like modeled in the game, right? With the same sounds and everything. It's like an aerodrums kind of setup. Wow. And he click you click him off and then you start and you're playing an actual concert, right? Like I imagine that's Whoa. where that's where rock band's gonna be in Ooh. who's it, 15, 20 years, that sort of thing. How cool would that be? So Interesting enough, I don't know if you've seen how far VR has gone, not just with visually seeing things, mm -hmm. but 
um, technology and devices created for haptic feedback sure. on your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pick up something and you can feel it's giving resistance as if an object would be Weird, there. Weird, right? Would be cool if you also just had the whole thing going down your arm and your leg and your feet and you're just playing a kit but a machine is giving haptic feedback without there being any physical representation of the kit sure. in person. Oh my God, that'd yeah. be so cool. Oh dude, it, it could get insane. It's not that hard to visualize how crazy that could be. Ugh, yeah. That's, that, yeah, that's absolutely wild. Shout I, out to any simulation companies or video game development companies. If you can make VR rock yeah. the thing, I, I'll do it. I'll be the test subject for everything. Yeah, that sounds. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun for sure. Oh man. Yeah, and you could go either way. You could do the aerodrums thing, but if you want rebound, you got to have some sort of pads. Oh man, this would be why. <laughs> this would be why, and all like easy to see, right? It's not like we're not talking that crazy. This yeah. is all very doable. Oh, if someone course. spent the money and figured out how to do yeah, it, yeah, I think upfront right now, if you were to gather companies together to develop that, it would be a multi-million dollar thing. Yeah, but maybe <laughs> maybe you, hundreds of millions of dollars. If you developed it far enough, you could get it down. I mean, look where we are with computers and processors. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. It's, we'll get there. Well, I think yeah. we'll live to see something like that for sure. It would be very very cool to see. Yeah. All righty. So that's it for Swap Study cool. Shed. That's fun. Man. I like that one. Next <laughs> week we'll have a, a really, really cool uh, list. Maybe do two rounds too. Yeah, we get another rounds. round. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, but yeah, hope you guys like that. I like that a lot. And we'll go on to Sleeper Spotlight. Sleeper Spotlight. All right. In this segment, we introduce a drummer that y'all are sleeping on. Or drummers, actually. And we get Adam's opinions, impressions, and constructive criticism, if any. So first up, we got Carlos Daniel Guevara. All right. Brother Carlos, first video from him. Here we go. Yeah. was awesome super cool what yeah. is the what's the song uh it's, it's a toto song oh um, so okay yeah, it sounded of, like old 80s glam yeah, rockish kind of yeah. cool so jeff percaro on that one gotcha. uh, originally um so carlos here uh has congenital anthrogryposis multiplex okay um, so he has a, a condition long, yeah which uh, affects all of his limbs okay um I thought this was cool. I have a, a friend of mine who has uh, a, a limb indifference. Okay. Um, so born without her left arm. And uh, I thought it was important to kind of highlight that uh, something like this can hold someone back, but they it is still very possible to get to this skill level sure. with having a condition like this. Sure. So. And such a, for, first of all, let's talk about his playing actually. Awesome pocket, right? Like really, really good, really tasteful. Um, and, if I'm being totally honest, if I wasn't looking at the video, I would not have assumed at all that this was someone with a disability. So his his ability to overcome that and to play, I don't know, just well, right, is, is super, super impressive. Because obviously this guy's facing a totally different set of challenges that, um, you know, that like drummers like you and I would not. Correct. But what I also love about this is like the... It drums, it, it's all mental. Like, yes, you have to use your body to physically execute the parts, but like your, the sound that, that you make these drums make, that comes from your mind, right? It comes from your consciousness, right? And no matter what, what cards life handed you or, you know, what cards you, you got dealt when it comes to like, your physical body mentally like that's where this expression of rhythm c comes from and so it's cool to see that even at at you know being disadvantaged in this way 
it really doesn't matter. Like what you hear in your mind, what he hears in his mind is likely not different from how you and I hear it in our mind. You know, he certainly has a, a much uh, just a different battle to, in order to express that, obviously. I'm sure he's had to make interesting technique adjustments and sort of approach things from his own his own angles. Um, but it's cool. I love that, like, no matter what you see on the outside, like, consciousness, like, it's it's very similar from person to person. And it's, it's cool to see him um, have worked that out, man. I would love to know what exactly are his specific challenges, right? Like, what does he have to do to um, to play this way? Because it... How frustrating if you were to look up technique lessons and you're like, well, my wrist doesn't move that way, right. so I can't play this way, right? Yeah. Man, that was really, really awesome. There's a few drummers um, with with like prominent disabilities that I've seen on mostly Instagram, and dude, it's always awesome, dude. It just what a what a like big slice of humility pie to be like, what were you working? Like, how hard was your practice session? You yeah, know? not exactly. not that hard, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got another clip from Carlos. We okay. can watch here. All right, clip two from Carlos. Clean, man. Those triplets on the hat. I mean, definitely like more, more like speed and like cleanliness than I would expect too, right? Like very articulate, man. For it doesn't even look like his hands have the same technique either. Like it looks like his his left hand is a bit more curved in, mm -hmm. and I see a lot of finger technique, which would make a ton of sense, but a bit more wristy with the right hand. And so that reminds me of like the challenge that comes with playing like traditional grip. Like it's two different techniques that you have to get down. And I would imagine that that's a lot of what he's had to work through is like, here's what I have to do with my left hand and here's what I have to do with my right. Mm -hmm. um, but man, the rudiments and the speed makes it that much more impressive, man. Cause the first clip he was pretty much just grooving, but to hear those six stroke rolls kind of like slung off the rack tom like that, man, that's awesome. I would love to talk to him and hear about, again, like just his specific challenges. Like what mm -hmm. do you have to do that nobody else has to think about except you. It's yeah. like these personal burdens that you got to take on. Um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, he uh, actually, that was uh, drums only on him covering a Michael Jackson song. Okay. Uh, Rock With You. Um, and then fun fact, too, was uh, doing a deep dive through his Instagram. I found out that 10 years ago when he was touring in China, that he went to the same performing arts center in Beijing that I went to. Whoa. So it's funny to see uh, the pictures of that because I'm like, hey, I've been there. Yeah, um, that's really cool. Yeah. So he, he played there? He, I believe he's from Venezuela originally. Mm -hmm. um, he's now based out of Nashville. Um, awesome. And uh, he toured with a the Simon Bolivar Symphonic Orchestra cool. 10 years ago and was able to play with them. Dude, well, yeah. shout out Carlos, man. I find these like... like I, and I mean, I, different people probably have different responses, but like for me, just deeply inspiring, like inspiring in the sense of like, what am I complaining about? Like exactly. if he can do this, then super cliche, but like, so can you, so can yep. I, you know, it's a, a healthy, healthy perspective to have sometimes. So that's inspiring dude, man. Shout out Carlos. That's awesome. Shout out Carlos. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, and then we will now. Introduce another drummer for Sleeper Spotlight. Okay. And this is Lisa, I'm going to butcher this, <laughs> Chepkovskaya. Ooh, Russian, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes. So here's Lisa. Okay. First video from Lisa.
<laughs> I really like a lot of her mannerisms that she's using with different patterns from the hat to the snare. I feel like there's a lot of things in there that I personally use. Um, weird manipulations of the six-stroke roll, like even doing different variations of right, left, up on the hats, down to a right hand on the snare. Like, and throwing kick drums around there, like sandwiching it inside of other patterns. But there were a few mannerisms in there that were really cool. Also fast. There were a couple of, mm -hmm. the audio was like a little crunchy in this one, but there were some five-stroke rolls in there that were super, super quick and clean. And it sounds like mega hi-hats. Are these like 16s or something? Uh, they might be. They sounded yeah. like real huge and washy. Really cool. It could just be really dry. Yeah. I mean, she's clean, man. I mean, that was that was really cool. A lot of... Um, uh, we talked about, I talked about future sounds last week, but like kind of sort of in that world of like... Um, I don't know, like funk displacement sort of stuff, that, that sort of world. Not necessarily future sounds, but um, yeah, a lot of cool groove ideas in there. I like that a lot. Sweet. That was awesome. Yeah. All right, let's do next clip from Lisa. Oh, yeah. Little camera slider here, huh? So what I really like is how I almost want to say planned. Like, I don't know if the, this was a predetermined part or not, or if it was improvised, but I see like a, like a huge level of comfort where it almost didn't quite feel improvised. If it was, it was even that much more impressive. Um, but like ultra clean, like no hesitancy in any of the patterns. Like they just came out like she's played this a thousand times already. So a really high level of comfort it makes everything clean, feels super solid. And I love the combination of heavier playing, but like still highly technical, which is obviously in the wheelhouse of Garska, Halpern, even Bouvet is kind of in that category mm -hmm. sometimes. But um, I, I love that combination because sometimes there's, I don't know, if you go back far enough in metal or just in rock, like you find this simplicity that... It, you know, just technically, it wasn't that hard. Like, let's go ACDC, for example. Like, it's mostly basic rock beats with some really basic fills. Not a knock on that whatsoever. It's got its own place in, in musical history, for sure. Uh, but, I don't know, it, it sort of feels like something about metal drumming being highly technical, using, like, these jazz, funk sort of influences. Something about that still feels, like, relatively new. And so I like when I see that. Uh, it's people combining a lot of the nerdier elements of our instrument with this like more primitive aggression that's been around for a lot longer. So I, I really liked that that blend of those two in here. It was just heavy enough, but also highly technical and really interesting. So that was awesome. Lisa Shreds, man, go follow yeah, her. Yeah, shout out to those massive lights that are in that. In Got that. some big old lights, yeah. yeah. <laughs> these are huge. Um, you know, uh, video production is one skill that you can tack on to yourself as a drummer. And oh yeah, salt boxes—that's the way to go. They take up some space, but that light looks looks great, man. Oh yeah, all awesome. right, cool. Well, thank you, uh, both Carlos and Lisa. Yeah, Name give them a follow, man. Sleeper Spotlight, get them up to ten thousand, ten thousand million followers. Uh, they deserve all of your attention and respect. All right, that'll do it for that. And we'll move on to the Q&A segment of the podcast. Q&A, all right. Surprise, you still have questions coming in because we did that <laughs> <Dude>. giant Q&A <laughs> podcast last week. Um, but we still do. Oh, yeah. All right. So it's a big one. Jerry S. asks, why do you think it is such a common thing for drummers to have a weak hand? Do we take the idea of having a dominant hand as something that should exist everywhere, but we select where we want that to be true? If all drummers acted like at day one, your body was supposed to be balanced between the left and the right, then every drummer would have a symmetrical setup, and any other setup wouldn't make sense. In other words, 
do you think it's strange that we are either right-handed or left-handed drummers and that the other hand automatically becomes the weaker one? Hmm. Well, I think we need to back out of drum world for a minute and talk about using like your right or left hand. Like it, it, there does seem to be something natural about that where even let's just say like infants or toddlers would have a preference of using the right or the left hand. So I think there's this unfair element of this where like you're already going to have picked a favorite or let's just say or how you're going to have discovered a natural preference of which hand you like to use early on long before you started playing drums so you're not going to be able to go into this with some perfect unbiased symmetry I don't think that's how this is ever going to work unless you were literally raised that way right if you were raised to write with both hands back and forth you know and here's a weird example man my grandfather he's born in like late 20s or 30s and he was left-handed but they used to beat kids and make them use their right hand that wasn't allowed that wasn't allowed right and i just thought that it was just like how everyone has to do it the exact same way you know it might be kind of like do you know anybody that drives with their left foot um well because you're not allowed to drive with both they'll tell you like you can't do that and even one of the more interesting things is countries who have right hand drive cars Mm -hmm. the accelerator pedal is still on the right that's interesting right it's not reversed yeah it's just on the other side of the it's it's the same layout as if it was a left hand yeah they just move the whole like column over well i mean it definitely can be can be somewhat trained for sure because i i remember one time i was looking up like different tactics for how to edit faster like physically how to edit faster in final cut and There are a lot of people who will spend a lot of time training their left hand on a mouse, like how to get, you know, just as comfortable with your left hand on a mouse. And apparently it can be done. But the problem is you're combating decades of experience with the right hand. Like, will it ever be exact? Will your left hand ever be exactly the same as your right hand? I really don't know that it will. It's just it's like you grew up listening to 4-4. We talked about this a few episodes ago. You know, will 9-4 ever feel exactly the same? Like, I think you can get it really close, but not exactly the same. I just don't think you can compete with with that amount of time put in, right? Mm-hmm. Like listening to one genre or driving a car a certain way or using a hand or one side of your body a certain way. Another weird example, skateboarding. Skateboarding switch, which is, oh, which is backwards. Yeah. Like, you can get it really 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 comfortable but it never feels exactly like your regular stance does you know so that's that's the big thing i would say i don't know that you're ever going to find this real perfect symmetry because you're just combating your entire life experience using like let's just say your right hand or the right side of your body but there's another element to this and that is that you know do you want your hands or is it is it best that your hands have the exact same skill sets like isn't it kind of cool that your left hand is better at doing ghost notes with the finger technique and your right hand is more powerful and articulate like I don't know what exactly that that breakdown would be but but certainly it's probably true for all of us your right hand is way better at doing certain things and your left hand is definitely better at doing some other things and part of me sort of likes that approach I like that if we were to have all of these different limbs that we shouldn't necessarily try and match their skill sets like note for note or dynamic for dynamic that maybe there's something to having a um, different skill sets for each hand because that's how you end up playing anyway I feel like if you matched your right and your left hand like like measurably matched them where they are equally as fast what is the advantage the advantage would be that you can switch which we don't do you can now play everything backwards. Yeah. Well, cool, except you don't need to do that, right? Like, I almost like the idea of having highly specialized limbs. And think of another weird example of this would be like fighting, like MMA. Mm. Like, you know, they, they'll talk about Connor's left hand, right? Or John Jones' right high kick. Does it really serve them to put in the amount of time to be able to do that same thing with the other hand? They can switch stances and now it's the other hand you have to worry about. Maybe in a certain context it would be 
it would be a good thing. But I don't know. I, I like the separation of having them specialized a little bit. Certain things you work on with your right hand, and you don't necessarily have to match that with your left. This is going to be pretty controversial. I think a lot of people would say um, you'd be best off matching them. Yeah, but, who's yeah, the... Who, I mean, there have been several drummers that will... Uh, uh, one I can think of is um, Harry Meary. Okay. Right? He did uh, something where he then played with his left hand primarily for a game or like switch the sides, even though he's right-handed and did that experiment. And he said that it was like kind of an adjustment period, but he was able to do it. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other drummers that come to mind where it's, I mean, mainly if you're just playing pieces where, Oh, it would really help because my left hand is free to play this part. Sure. Or I can sure. add more parts into this because my left hand isn't doing anything. Yeah. In these four bars or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, I, I get where you're coming from. Like, it, there could be an advantage, but there really isn't that much of a noticeable or discernible advantage. Well, uh, maybe the way to look at it is, like, if you got your hands perfectly matched together, they're identical in their skill sets and capabilities, you're still going to play normally, right? You're still probably going to play, like, a right-handed setup. You could switch, but yeah. but will you like will you ever actually does it really matter no yeah, yeah it doesn't yeah. necessarily matter no. you're not like less cape now admittedly getting your left hand to do all of the things that your right hand could do would allow you to be more creative more expressive you'd have a lot more options i think but is it worth it like is that is that worth the time or my argument would be you can just concede that this is not worth it and admit that, <laughs> that your left hand is good at some shit and your right hand is good at other things. And that makes up this musical blend that is you. Because there are some, some of the highest level drummers in the world didn't have what you would describe as matched hands. I mean, imagine Buddy Rich with traditional technique. Do you think he could just switch in on the right hand and play exact? Probably not. They were different. A traditional grip is probably an excellent example. Yeah. Like different skill sets, different techniques. To think you could just reverse those and they'd be exactly the same, like probably not. I don't think Buddy Rich could do that. Any famous jazz player. I think I think I would put myself in the camp of like, I really don't care if my hands, <laughs> if hands can do the same thing, right? Yeah. I don't care. It's just, it doesn't matter. I'm okay with my left hand being really good at some stuff and right good at the other. That's how it, that's how it appears to me. Um, but I don't know. That's another great question for any, anybody listening. You know, is it worth it to match your hands? What exactly do you gain from that? Or would you be better off, again, conceding that they are both yeah. individual entities that are gonna gonna be good at their own things no matter what you do? Yeah, that's I think an it's interesting a weird. Th- yeah, I think it's a weird thing too to be like, oh, this is the weaker one. I think maybe that's where people kind of want to strengthen it. It's just, they just yeah. don't want to admit that this is weaker than the other, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like we're saying, it doesn't matter. Well, and the thing is, weak is an interesting word because let's just say I ask you to play like a ghost note type groove, right? Just like a groove that has some ghost notes with your left hand on it. And I ask you to play it backwards. So your left hand is just playing eighth notes on the hi-hat. But your right hand cannot play the ghost notes because you're not used to doing it. So which is the weaker hand in that scenario, right? Like your left hand can can execute something that your right hand cannot, so, right, like, weak is a very interesting word. Like, it, incapable would not, be a better not word. Not up to the same level of comfort, comfort. I guess. Comfort. Depends on what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. That, that, training those muscles and it getting used to, well, no, the ghost hand, their left hand usually plays ghost notes, so the right hand's not as fluid or comfortable in that space. Yeah, not as dynamic, not as much control. But if you match it, then you have no problems. True. Ever playing anything. I yeah, think that yeah. would be the case. It's yeah. just like if you do match them and they're even limbs, you nobody can ever look at you and say you can't play that because of course you can. Yeah. Well, you have – but that's the thing. That's this ironic part. So I've known this for a long time, but it is interesting. Like you, you now have the ability to switch, but will you? Will you ever play yeah. backwards just for the sake of doing mm. it? Right, because if, if if we're talking about getting paid at the gig to play the appropriate thing, whether in the studio or for a band, okay. nobody cares if you switch. That'll never come yeah. up. It's just your choice. If if you told someone, you know, I can play this part backwards, they would be like, "Cool, man, I really don't care which can way you play, play it. Piece? Can you, yeah. you just play it normal, yeah. like whatever." I don't. It's nice that you're being a showman right now, but yeah, you don't need to be. Yeah, be yeah. Like, How much time did you spend working on that? Because yeah. uh, it's weird. It is. It is a showmanship <laughs> thing. The other thing is, guitarists can't do that. Why would they? 
Yeah, why would they? Yeah. Yeah. Ever need and to do that? All this to say, it's not that there would be no benefit. I wouldn't argue that. There's definitely some cool things that would happen yeah. if you matched your hands that way. But that's an interesting topic, a little deeper than I think we both anticipated. Yeah, we're well, asking a lot of questions on this <laughs> podcast. I'm ready to start some fights on the internet. <laughs> Let's um, go. Cool. Thank you, Jerry, for the question. Um, next question is from Eric Dickerson. Okay. He asks, oftentimes when you refer to other drummers, you compliment on how they are such high level drummers. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself a high level drummer? Why or why not? It's a little bit of introspective thinking today. Okay. Okay. So the question is, do I consider myself a high level drummer? Man, that's a, yeah, that's really tough. Tough to answer. Honestly, because like I would have one of the worst perspectives, like be honest, you could probably answer that question better than I could. Um, for how I would define high level, I mean, I would I would say yes, but there are levels among the high levels too. So it it's not difficult for me to give to give you a massive list of drummers who are all better than me, many of which, uh, you know, many of whom I, I might know, and some of them I might not know at all, but like. There's there's no question that I'm not in the top 100, 200, 300, 500 drummers that have ever lived. There's just no question. Uh, with that said, it's weird if you were to run it like a, I don't know, like like statistically, I would assume that I'm still in the upper, I don't know, of, of just drummers in the world. I would certainly hope that anybody that does this for a living is in the top 5% something like that. Of course, there's millions of drummers in the world, so it's it's complicated. Um, I, I think for me, there are definitely some things where I have a natural ability that were not that hard for me, and it just, I've had to go back and really figure out what, if anything, did I do to get this skill set. So one of them would be speed. I never practiced being fast. It wasn't something that I struggled with at all, and even in my drummer friend circles when I was in, I don't know, high school, I was always, you know, faster, um, and it just wasn't something I had to spend a lot of time on. So that could be anything from a physical advantage, like a fast twitch mus- muscle fiber thing. I don't know, but th- that I definitely didn't have a problem with. Um, feet, same thing. You know, like foot coordination was never particularly hard for me. Once I figured out what foot permutations were, my foot just kind of could do what I wanted it to. Um, but of course, there are many other things that I'm not so good at, like managing rebound was something that required a huge amount of focus uh, for me. So like technique did not come naturally. I played with bad technique for the first several years. It didn't make sense to me what I was doing wrong. It took a long time to figure that out. Um, and I don't want to just go through things that I'm good at and things that I'm bad at. Um, yeah, man, I think I think for me, there is definitely a, um, a certain point in... in in musicianship, and I think everybody hits this at a certain point, where you do have a certain sense of pride in your in your own skill level, not only because you put in the time, but also because, you know, if I look around at the career that I have, like the the platform that I've made, not just on YouTube and social media public stuff, but also OrlandoDrummer.com, like I, I hope I'm good at this. I really don't know how to explain where this website came from, where this podcast came from, where this YouTube channel came from, where 2,000 drum lessons came from, you know, older performance videos I've done, um, you know, albums that I played on years ago. Like, all of that stuff must mean that I'm doing something right in this wheelhouse. So I look at that sort of stuff as like objective evidence that I can't be that bad at this. Um, But with that said, I never place myself in any type of competition uh, with other professional drummers. I can be objective and say that this drummer is just better than me and it doesn't doesn't hurt my ego or my feelings to say that. Um, I was never in this to be the best drummer in the world at all. I'm, I'm so much of an individualist that I really don't think that's a title anybody gets. It's just recipes, just different recipes all over the place. Um, and I've, of course, I, I I have a sense of pride in my recipe because I know that nobody in the world plays drums exactly like me. 
But the cool thing is that applies to you too. It applies to everybody listening. If I spent my entire career trying to play like you, I would still fail and that applies vice versa. You can try as hard as you want to play like I do and you will always fail. And so I love that individualistic aspect of musicianship. Um, And again, I'm not in competition with anybody. I never look at it that way. I'm just in competition with myself as much as I choose to be. So hopefully that uh, that answers your question, man. It's a good question. Interesting for sure. (laughs) So the question was, do you consider yourself a high-level drummer? Why or why not? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think Eric's looking for a yes or a no. <laughs> by my definition, when I say high level, uh, yes. I would say, yeah. By my uh, own definition, I, w- I would say yes. Um, but again, the the catch there would be there are levels among the levels, for sure. Yes. Chris Coleman is also a high level drummer, but also... Come on, like we're not, that's not a realistic comparison. (laughs) Like I'm not saying that him and I are on the same level. That would be an insane thing to say. Um, But yeah, by my definition, I guess I just mean that you could comfortably take a a really wide variety of gigs. You deserve to get paid for what you do because you've put enough time to to earn that. You've reached a threshold of being able to say, I'm I'm pretty good. Yes. I can confidently say I'm pretty good, I think. And I would also say that for, on average, there are definitely exceptions, but on average, I would say 10 years plus to me is what what high level, that's about the range of drummer you'll find. In my own personal definition of like high level players, 10, 10 years or more, there are freaks in the world who, you know, can just outplay most of us after three or four years, but that's not common. That's the exception to the rule. So, yeah, yeah I'd say 10, 10 plus year drummers, they would all get a high level, unless you've been, you know, screwing around, yeah, for, 10 screwing years. around for 10 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, but for the most part, you know. All right, cool. Well, thank you, Eric, for the question. Yeah. If you guys have any questions, please submit them via the InstaChops Instagram. Comment on any video with a question. Uh, YouTube comments on these podcasts or any previous podcasts. Uh, the members area of Orlando Drummer. We go through the forums and we look for questions there. Uh, or you can shoot me a question directly at chris at orlandodrummer.com. That'll do it. And do you have any closing thoughts for I got today's one. podcast? I got one. Only for you. one. All right. It's cool. another question. Sorry, we're just loading you guys up with questions. <laughs> uh, so this is actually it's based off a question that I got. Uh, I was going to do it on last week's episode, but I think I'll save it. I'm still really thinking through my answer on it, but. Um, it was basically, uh, I won't give away the whole question or my answer, but I want to float this idea to you guys and see what you think. So this, this particular guy that wrote me, he works at a, a really prominent music store and he sort of explained to me how within his own music store, at least in this company, things have not been going so well. Um, not a lot of customers coming in, sales numbers, not doing good. And let, let's just be totally honest here. Clearly they're up against, Sweetwater, uh, Musician's Friend, and a whole variety of other online retailers. And so my question for you is, what are your thoughts on the future of music retail? And that could apply to your brick and mortar shops like, um, you know, a mom and pop type of drum shop, or even to the big box stores, which would be, you know, Sam Ash Guitar Center and anything in that category. I'm really curious where you guys think that that whole thing is going. Are we going completely online? How long until such a thing happens? Do you think there's still a place in the music industry for um, big box music retailers or small mom and pop drum shops? Um, Because whatever your preference might be, unfortunately, reality might have something different to say about it. And so I have some thoughts about this that I want to get into next week um, because I've been thinking about this one for a long time. Not only did I work in music retail, you know, about a decade ago, but I also knew I still know many other people that do, and um, they've got a lot of interesting thoughts about it as well. So we're going to get into this one next week, but as a closing message, you know, maybe, maybe don't hop in the comment section right away, but something to sit on for the week and think about it. You know, where do you see the future of music retail going? Um, and is there any ideas that, that, that you have or anything that we can do about it? Uh, or should we do anything about it? I don't know. Maybe we just hand the reins over to the internet and see what happens. Maybe. I'm kidding. We shouldn't do that, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. Well, thank you. Yes. This this is a fun one. Thank you, sir. This was a fun one, man. Great episode. Lots of questions. Please, again, comments below. Shoot me an email, chris at orlandodrama.com. It's been great. Oh, yeah. Episode 20. Episode 20. Thank you for tuning in, guys. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.